crashes in, you know it's time to begin. And wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC. Especially if you are one of our geeks who speak. That is, determined to have your voice heard this November, going to the polls and voting. We encourage it. Register. You still have time if you're not registered. Be a geek who speaks. Get out there and vote this November. DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week, delivered the way we love it to be, and that is completely free thanks to our sponsors this week, Hymns, Simple Contacts, and Squarespace. Squarespace! They're bringing the show to you, DLC, of course, the show all about games and their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I am your host, Jeff Canada, that's spelled with two N's and one T, and I am joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis, the guy whose Halloween costume is always impressive, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff. Hello, everybody. It's October playoff. Baseball is here. Uh, I think the Dodgers are currently getting pummeled. I was going to say sweep, 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 but I, I think they're losing. Uh, but I'm so excited. I love playoff baseball. Congrats to the Brewers for playing a heck of a first uh, NLDS. And uh, it's my favorite time of year. I love October. Yeah, I mean, you're saying that because, you know, um, I would say easily 70% of our listenership is the Brewers. They were just the, the team, the Brewers, makes up most of our listeners. And so it's great to talk directly to the people that matter most to our podcast. Hey, never disrespect the Brew Crew. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, we uh, This is an awesome time of the year for video games, which is our topic. We got amazing releases coming week after week after week. It's almost easy to get drowned in the incredible releases that are coming out. We have uh, a lot of news this week to get through. We, we have an awesome guest to do it with. You know that DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, I'm so excited because DLC stands for drafts, log lines, and columns because we have a writer from Kotaku whose work I greatly enjoy. Heather Alexandra is joining us for the first time. Hey, Heather. Hey, how's it going? This Doing is well. amazing. Like I, there, there's a whole lead in with music and everything like this is amazing. I love it. We're pretty fancy. Yeah, we got uh, we got mu- there's more music to come. You just wait. You just <laughs> oh, wait. Good. I'm excited. <laughs> just the tip uh, of the iceberg here. Um, uh, I'm, I love your work over at Kotaku, so I'm so excited to have you on the show finally. And uh, we have a lot to get to. We're going to talk a lot of Assassin's Creed Odyssey because there's a lot to talk about. Uh, we're going to talk some more Astrobots because I know Christian's got a chance to play that. Houston we have- Astros. Oh, not those. Do you, did you think you're on a MLB podcast? Because the Dodgers tied it. The chat just told me. Oh my gosh. Uh, oh my gosh. Why is anybody <laughs> even here? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I'm actually uh, at Dodger right. Stadium right now, though. So uh, <laughs> uh, I am not a Dodgers fan, so I I'm rooting actively for their their demise. Uh, let's start the show the way we always do with story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story of the week. Story of the week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration by visiting our subreddit. That is 5x5dlc.reddit.com or by sending us an email. Our emails are always open. We love hearing from you at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Heather, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? 
I think you can't talk about games right now and everything that's going on without talking about still everything that's happening with Telltale and with The Walking Dead. So that means, in this case, talking about the fact that Skybound, which is uh, Rob Kirkman's production company, says that they are going to be finishing The Walking Dead's, uh, Telltale's The Walking Dead's final season, which I think... I I have a lot of weird mixed feelings about, uh, I think we need a lot more details uh, on sort of what that means. I know that there are plans and discussions about trying to retain as many of the people who've worked on that project uh, as before. I've been a little against the idea of this thing sort of just being picked up. My biggest fear was that it was going to just be completely uh, tossed off to like uh, uh, some outsourcing firm in the middle of nowhere. And the people who had worked on that game weren't going to see any sort of um, any like equitable or fair return based upon like all the labor that they put in. But it looks like some of them might be involved. I've had some people who have worked on those games say that, and you know, just for speaking for them, they say, that maybe they're comfortable with it being completed so long as it's according to the vision of some of the people who were involved with the the, the main construction of the story there. So people like Michael Kirkbride or things like that. Um, so I still think there's a lot of interesting stuff happening with the story. So for me, it's been the story that's had my attention the most and made me both relieved that maybe this thing will be done and, and, and made, and maybe that some people will see, uh, you know, compensation for the work they got, but I've also been really animated about it because I think for a while too, for some people, I generalize here, right? I think some people like everything that happened at Telltale was, was terrible. And I I think we mostly acknowledged it, but for some people, the big question had always been, is the walking dead going to be finished? Is the walking dead going to be finished? And I don't know Mm -hmm. if that was, you know, it's good that we have an answer to that question at the very least, but for a while I was kind of frustrated that that was the thing that people were worried about. Um, But I'm glad that this story is kind of progressing. I, I I don't know. I, I want to see something good come from it both in terms of a game and in terms of supporting people so i have my fingers crossed but who knows but for me that is still the most important thing that's happening in the games uh, industry right now yeah yeah it's i mean it's a it's an interesting evolving tale here right because uh telltale shuttered suddenly in a way that i think and i think maybe everybody here agrees uh was kind of crappy <laughs> quite yeah. frankly to the yes. to the people that were working there and uh and now it seems that skybound as you said robert kirkman's the, who are you know this is the uh the comic book side of the walking dead ip uh has come in and said hey we're going to pick up the rights to this and put out the last two episodes which by all accounts uh, there has already been a lot of design work and the story has pretty much been written for those episodes so uh, this kind of feels like crossing the finish line with it rather than, you know, creating these from whole cloth. And you're right. I mean, the, I think Skybound, you know, put out a, a, a tweet, uh, an announcement tweet saying, we are so happy to announce that we've reached a deal with Telltale Games that will allow Skybound to continue The Walking Dead, the final season. Let's wrap up Clem's story right. More deal- details to come soon. And what isn't super clear is how much of the original team, which has all been unceremon- unceremoniously dumped by the telltale closures and uh, firings uh, are going to be involved. And as you said, compensated for this. 
you, you, you don't want to feel like you want to support this effort if those people aren't going to be involved. But I also kind of understand from a gamer's perspective, if you're invested in this evolving tale, this episodic game that is really a, a very emotional ride for these characters, you kind of just want this story to be finished. And I kind of don't, you know, I don't begrudge anybody wanting that story to, to conclude and having those last episodes come out. But I'm, I'm with you, Heather, on feeling like this one hopes that Skybound is going to do this the right way and try to value all of the, the work and commitment that these people have put into these games. We talked about this story, you know, as it first happened, I guess, what, last week or the week before when it was, you know, when the firings happened. And um, I advocated pretty strongly for unionization in the gaming business. I think that still needs to happen. And I would continue to be vocal about pushing for that. I, I don't know. It feels like Skybound's heart is in the right place, but it, it remains to be seen, right? Right. More details to come can mean all sorts of things. So I I want to be optimistic, but there's always that, that part of me that's going to be a little s- cynical and a little skeptical just based upon how sort of how companies work and the realities of, of, of getting things uh, put together. I think the big thing right now just involving not just – you know, not just telltale, but uh, broadly, the big thing here is that we've seen so many different closures at so many different places. We just recently had Capcom Vancouver. We had high profile stuff a little while back with Visceral and things like that. And I, I think it's becoming more and more clear to people how volatile this industry is and how a lot of that volatility um, is it, it, is is partially a managerial thing? Is partially just kind of the structure of how things go, and then how much of it can maybe be mitigated, or the effects of any sort of closures, like you know we see with Telltale, with Visceral, with with you know Capcom Vancouver, things like that, can be mitigated or handled by the fact uh, of workers having some sort of strong representation, some sort of union, you know, uh, bargaining power. We were, um, uh, for us, for for Kotaku at the very least, back when we were part of Gawker, I I think we were one of the first digital media shops to organize into a union. And it's like, there were a lot of important benefits to that. We protected ourselves a lot recently, not to turn this into (laughs) the inside journalism, uh, inside baseball show for a second, but we had our own own issues where there were going to be, you know, potential like straight up firings and and things like that because of things that were happening at Univision. And because we had a union, we were able to ensure that people had things, you know, we negotiated for a buyout package for people to make sure that yes, you can walk away with, with some degree of security instead of, you know, you know, people at Telltale, they didn't have that choice at all. It was, Hey, you're out. And okay. Maybe Telltale doesn't last like, and that sucks. But at the very least it, in the future, if if workers can find ways to come together, they can have each other's backs in more demonstrable ways and exert more force to ensure that, hey, you don't fire us without actually giving us our severance or whatever other grievance that they need to fight for at any given time. Yeah, I certainly hope that that is where this is all heading. And I think it will make for a stronger games industry. It'll make for fairer uh, situations for people that really bust their backs by, you know, working insane out. I mean, it is, 
when you scratch the surface just a little bit and see how your favorite video games are actually made, it's easy to to be shocked and appalled by how these games come to be and and what kind of what is asked of uh, employees of these companies. And then it, it just doesn't seem like that kind of sacrifice is valued when push comes to shove and then they get, you know, they get unceremoniously fired. But again, uh, one hopes that, that this side of the story where, uh, you know, Skybound is coming in can be a win-win. And hopefully you see some people that have been out of a job get actually some employment out of this. And also we get, we as gamers get the conclusion to this story. So hopefully this is a win-win. I, I really am crossing my fingers that this is only positive, but it remains to be seen how this is all going to shake out. Uh, Christian, what is your take on the story? Yeah, I'm curious to see more of the details because my former lawyer brain, you know, and, and not digging much deeper, and I don't think there's tons out as we're sitting down to record this, but does this mean Skybound is licensing Telltale's engine? And all of its assets, do they own that now? Uh, I don't think, I don't know how they, much. What they did was they walked into this uh, this building and there were a bunch of papers on the ground and it looked like it had just been abandoned. And they they opened a drawer and, and inside was like all the stuff when they were making a game. And they, it, people had just left the building empty and they were like, oh, I guess we'll take this and make a game out of it. Before they got to that drawer, though, there were eight other cabinets they had to open and nothing was in them. It right. was a, a, a real process. Classic but, video game problem. But I, I do wonder, and, and I think gamers might bemoan, oh, Telltale's engine isn't worth much anyway, and that was one of the things that held them back, and blah, 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 blah. But, again, not knowing the details, so just speculating here, if this company was, um, you know, going bankrupt and filing for bankruptcy, or whatever their transition out of existence is or was, and now they've licensed or sold back a very a core chunk of their of their portfolio to the company of the person who owned the license to sell it to them to make the game it just i feel like there's a lot of potential red tape that i'm fascinated to see how it was all worked out and maybe not maybe the original contract had a buyback clause in it and it's not as fascinating as i'm speculating and <laughs> it's just like it, if uh telltale goes under skybound has right of first refusal here's all the things we get and that triggered and they got it i don't know but i'm super curious to see what that means because if skybound now has this engine uh, are they going to look to make other games? Skybound certainly is more than just a comic book uh, company at this point with their hands in all sorts of, of media. And they've done other video games before. I don't think they've self-made um, them. public. No, they've published other people's games. I think this the first time they're developing in-house, if that's what they're doing. Well, we but don't now, know if that's what they're doing, right? We, it's kind of unclear how they're actually making the, these games. Right. Yeah. I guess the specifics of that haven't come out yet either. But anyway, I think there, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff here. Do they start, are they the spiritual successor of Telltale and start making these own games just with Skybound owned properties? Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens and how sustainable it is, or were these games largely finished and they just needed a, a publishing house to kind of, you know, get them that last 10% of the way. And those 25 employees who were just recently, again, unceremoniously let go from Telltale, brought over to finish it. And then, you know, we're kind of back to where we were just two weeks later. Everyone's out of a job again, but Skybound got this stuff out the door. It'll be interesting to see. So Christian, uh, what is your story of the week? <laughs> oh, I mean, my... I think I know what your story of the week is. <laughs> <laughs> we're in the future. 
my good friends. It happened. It finally happened. The thing you've been wanting to have happen. It got it got announced, and then now you're actually doing it all within the space of a week. Yeah. So Google's Project Stream, this was announced, I think, like right after our show went up last Monday. <laughs> we had a really great show, and then I woke up Monday morning, and it was like, son of a gun, I would have loved to talk about this. So you may have read about it already. Uh, it had been rumored for a long time that Google is working on a video game console or, or video game stuff in some form or fashion. Then I believe it was last Monday. Everybody was like, we can go public. This is what we've been working on. It's called Project Stream. It's going to start on October 5th. We're going to launch it with Assassin's Creed Odyssey. It's going to be in beta. If you have, I think it's 25 uh, megabits down, you can apply for the beta to get in this thing. It's the full game. What better way to test our new streaming technology than with a AAA game that requires precise controls and, you know, streaming a movie is easy, but we want to do this thing in this whatever. And I remember I, I think I immediately texted you and I was like, oh my gosh, it's happening. I was uh, very excited to see this and to see all these rumors kind of coming together into this actual project. And then today, as I was uh, Sunday when we were recording this, I was going to my daughter's preschool picnic and like an idiot, I checked my email as I got out of the car and there was my beta invite. And that was the longest preschool picnic I've ever been to (laughs) (laughs) as I wanted to rush home and and play. That's saying something because if you've been to a preschool picnic, they all feel long. (laughs) No, they're they're fantastic. We had a lovely time. Um, It's currently only available in Chrome on PC or laptop, not on mobile devices, not on phones or tablets yet. But it's just so this this beta, this Assassin's Creed Odyssey beta, it is the full game. It is free. Uh, you have it until I think it's January 15th, 2019. I might have the exact day wrong, but January 2019. And they also give you $10 worth of credit to spend on DLC in the store. And then after that, you can't buy anything else. So it's like, here's 10 bucks, buy something if you want in the store, go play the game, full access to the game. It just plays in your browser, plug a controller in and go. And we can talk about the game later, um, the game itself. But Heather and Jeff, holy crap! So it's you've incredible. Done this. You've done, this isn't just this isn't abstract anymore. This isn't something they announced that the technology is going to come. You have done this. This is not a small game. This is not a uh, uh, you know indie title. This is not a a game that doesn't require a, a lot of oomph. And supposedly this is 1080p, 60 frames per second, right? That's what yep. they're touting. Yep. Uh, so you, this is you've tested this. You've done it on your computer in a browser. Is it what they say? It's in, it's incredible. Uh, it, so I had I have played the game on Xbox, a regular Xbox One, and then I got this today. So I've only played like forty minutes uh, via Project Stream, but purposefully doing the same side missions and stuff I've done on the Xbox one version in the same order, even just trying to like suss out what differences I can feel latency. I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but I'm saying I haven't noticed it. My combat hasn't suffered in any way, shape or form. I don't feel like I'm being killed unfairly because I can't parry or dodge out of a move. Um, graphically playing on a traditional Xbox one to this, there are a few times where I feel like I can tell it's kind of like, you know, the quality deteriorates a teensy bit, but I would say 99% of the time it looks comp- exactly the same or even better than 
playing on my regular Xbox One on a 1080p uh, monitor as well. Like I'm playing on the same screen, uh, 1080p, and it looks it looks incredible. And then the gameplay experience itself for this first part, I think it runs better in Project Stream than it does on my Xbox One. Where on the Xbox One, when I launch uh, Icarus, my eagle, into the sky and kind of scout out things or whatever, when I go back to I'm playing as Cassandra. When I go back to Cassandra. There's a load and it's not when I say lengthy, it's not lengthy in the sense of like, uh, what was it? Demon Souls or Bloodborne had like a two minute load when it first launched. It's not that lengthy, but it's not instantaneous the way it was when I played Origins on my PC when I set my my Falcon into the sky and it snapped back to me like on Xbox One. I sent Icarus to the sky, comes back and the screen goes dark and it's like feels like it's like a three count and then I'm back in Cassandra. And on Project Stream, there's no load there. It's it's instant. I'm right back into running around the world. Load times throughout the game feel faster. Not only that, when I got uh, Odyssey for Xbox One, I put the disc in, and guess what I had to do? Wait for install. the disc to install. Yeah. Wait for the this update. This is instant? This is literally open your browser, push play, you're, you're going? Yes, like the, the 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 flash screen will still come up, like made by a diverse group of people, you know, this, that, or the other. And, and there'll be a few instances of what I think we would call loading, but it just it seems like it's like the save thing coming up um, or pulling whatever it is from the next um, area. But it, it's, it runs faster than it's running natively off the disk on my console. It, so far, 45 minutes in, is blowing me away. Of the times I connected, I tried to play a little bit more before we started the show. Because <laughs> uh, it's so easy. It's just opening a browser tab. And the first time I clicked it, it said my connection wasn't good enough or it said it ha- had a problem. It might be because I had OBS and all this other stuff open. So I was like, oh, that's a bummer. But then I closed everything and I launched right back into it. So I don't know if maybe my wife was downloading something. I don't know. That's the potential hiccup of this, I think, is like however you acquire these games if you can't play it for, you know, network reasons, that could be frustrating. But again, today, 45 minutes of playing it, I am I am a believer. It's incredible. I, I, I'm going to show you this on my laptop tomorrow, Jeff. You could open a yeah. Chromebook. That's what you said. You, you, you texted me and said you can play it on your Chromebook because I have a Chromebook for work. And I am skeptical. I mean, my Chromebook chugs like opening Kotaku. You know, it's not... <laughs> It's I'm not, sorry. <laughs> no, no, I don't. That's not an indictment of your website. That's an indictment of of my my Chromebook. Uh, so we need to know, try because we have blazing yeah, fast internet yeah. there. I'll have my MacBook Pro. You'll have your Chromebook, and we're going to fire this thing up because it is unbelievable. Here's my question. Okay, so Heather, let me ask you this. Sure. Uh, we don't know anything about pricing structure for this service yet. We don't know how they're going to charge for games, how they're going to charge for the service, any of that stuff. So setting all of that aside, just from a purely tech standpoint, is this the future? Is this how we're all going to be playing video games? Uh, is the, are the days of uh, you know a, a powerful box in my home that, that I have to buy, are those, is that over? I think that is what a lot of CEOs and people will end up telling you if you say, Hey, what's, what's going on? What's coming up next? Um, I've always, so I've always been someone who's been a little bit as much as you can be when you 
work within video games as a field. I've had this sort of Luddite edge to me where I've always been very skeptical about, hey, no, I'm going to have like physical disc. Like I wasn't big about downloading games for a while, right? So for me, when I hear about streaming stuff, I have a lot of questions about how it actually shakes out in terms of, you know, so you mentioned pricing structures and and things like, like that, but it's like am I buying into a service and then I might, do I have access to a catalog? Am I buying like, like I don't understand any of this. This is so finally I've reached a point where something feels so above my pay grade and, and my head level sometimes where I go just like, for me, I just want to have, like, I love the idea of, of breaking down the technological barrier for accessibility, right? right? Totally. In terms of being like, Hey, you know what? You don't have to upgrade your stuff over and over again. Just have a PC that works, have a browser that is acceptable and can support all this. And then, I mean, I guess the other catch would be have internet, but otherwise then you, then you have access to these things that maybe you wouldn't be able to, to do or, or, or afford in time. Um, and I think that's really impressive for me. My questions start to become, okay, I've bought my theoretical streaming version of Assassin's Creed. What does that mean? I always have like I always I always have like weird ontological fears about like what, what it I means own? to own a game. Like what do I own? Yeah. Um like can is it is it this thing where, you know, I think about and this is this isn't even this is this isn't necessarily on the same uh, uh level a, a, as as this, but I think about PT and other games that get lost from stores because you know, publishers decide to do X, Y, Z thing or licensing fees get lost, right? I'm very concerned with game preservation and making sure that people who have games have their games the way that, you know, so I don't know. Aren't we already there though? I think PT is a great example. Something like Fortnite, you know, you're playing, I guess you could play that on your, um, uh, play it on your phone. Your phone or whatever. But like, you know, like, like let's say Call of Duty, um, Black Ops 4 coming out here in what next week or whenever that is. Um, that's a $60 game that you buy, but I think we're seeing you, you own a license to play it, right? Like there's no guarantee that five years from now or even a year from now that Blackout will still exist. That, that is an online only game that is $60 that requires what's the, what's the cheapest console right now? $299 for a, a base PlayStation or an Xbox One S? Like, I feel like we're already in that world of what do we own. So that's why making this next leap, um, I'm a little more comfortable doing it because I feel like if Assassin's Creed wanted to shut down, they could already shut it down. Even if I have the disc, it would do its you play check or whatever and just be like, nah, dog, <laughs> like we don't exist anymore. I, I guess, yeah, I guess that's fair. I think... I think for me, I just got to try it. I just need yeah, to see yeah. how it works. Because um, yeah, your, sure. your enthusiasm is amazing, right? But for me, I'm going like, you might as well be telling me, a random Victorian person, that you just saw, <laughs> oh, I went uh, went to the moving picture show and I saw this, <laughs> this thing and, and the train came running and I thought the train was going to hit my dad. And I'm like, <laughs> I understand what you're saying about just like opening up a tab and playing this. But for me, I'm also like, man, it's... Well, you should also be aware that Christian has been predicting this for easily five years now. So uh, he, he's been on board waiting for this moment. And this is basically a a uh, vindication and confirmation of everything he's ever believed in. <laughs> but so also – But I, not, not to say you're, you're misleading us. I, I just – I'm 
I'm glad that it's happening. It's easy for me to to sort of spin down the rabbit hole of something that we've we've talked about on podcasts for easily a decade, which is, you know, kudos to Dennis Dyack and his one console future because this could be that, right? If you decouple the experience of playing something with what it's being played on, it kind of opens up the entire hobby in a way that is unprecedented. It, if you can play a game like Assassin's Creed Odyssey on, and it doesn't matter, it, anything that can can have a browser on it, if you can play it on a Chromebook or whatever, it doesn't care. It's platform agnostic and it doesn't care. All of a sudden, the entire structure of the video game industry has changed. Right. And uh, a whole lot of, of things, you know, all of a sudden, you know, it doesn't matter. Platform exclusives don't matter and all these things don't matter anymore. And and so we're in this kind of uncharted territory for the whole industry, which is kind of exciting. Yeah, I mean, so I should say to our listeners and also to Heather, I am sitting next to my plugged in, hooked up Dreamcast, my Punisher for Sega Genesis, my Jurassic Park for just Sega Genesis and my Batman Returns for Super NES also hooked up. So I love that stuff. But also imagine this world where Let's just use Fortnite as an example because it's a free-to-play game and relatively easy to get but still requires a download, right? But imagine a world where we'll use Chrome for Project Stream. I'm watching Ninja stream on YouTube and and he's playing Fortnite. And then the way Twitch right now has like a buy on Amazon. But instead of that, there's a play Fortnite button. And Ninja's like, oh, man, this is wild. Okay, uh, well, I'm playing with Drake and I got one spot left. And you can click play. It opens up, all it does is open a tab in Chrome, and then the game starts. Like, the barrier of entry to play, like, we we all have that video, you know, the meme of the N64 kid opening up his present for Christmas and, and having, like, the best reaction ever. Like, what is it going to be now? Like, a dad recording their kid as they install Chrome? Like, <laughs> <we got> Chrome! <laughs> it's wild, right? Like, I'm streaming... Yeah assassin's creed and i'm like this game is awesome you guys need to get in here and check it out and and next to my stream is play (laughs) and someone's like i guess i'll try it play trying it immediately trying it it is that that to me is the is the killer app of this app like the killer feature i guess would be uh is the instantaneousness of it because uh installing stuff downloading stuff is is all laborious and 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 uh frustrating you know when you it, it never it can fails. Be hours. Yeah, for like a hundred and five my... gig game like Red Dead Two. That's going to be like two hours off the disc, right? Right. Like... Yeah, even off the disc, let alone downloading it. Let alone the patch you inevitably have to download first. You know, all of that process is it's a pain point. It's a relatively you know annoying pain point, and I think that that is a is a killer feature. I am a little bit with you, Heather, in the sense that I am still old school enough that I like all my pixels rendered and I appreciate all my pixels rendered. And literally I, today my new 2080 video card arrived and I'm like, well, I guess I picked the wrong week to stop sniffing glue. If you know what I mean? It's like, it's the, it's, I got the last video card I may ever need, I guess, because we just don't need to buy those. And, and I, I sit here going, I like having the processing power in my house. I like watching it render right there and knowing I've got every single pixel rendered by the the beast in my rig. I like that. But that's but not I how also, you watch movies. I was just going to say, but I also 
I'm exclusively Netflix and Amazon Prime Video. And like, I don't want Blu-rays in my house anymore because I don't care enough about the minor visual quality upgrade to not prefer the convenience of Netflix and Amazon Prime Video. So maybe I'll just, convenience will just win the day here as well. Well, and I think for a lot of people too, that this could be more pixels for them. Like, you love the newest, latest, best. You have a 2080 Ti sitting at home, hopefully on your computer because I want to hear about it. Um, but for a lot of people, if you have like a 960 or a Chromebook and you've been playing Angry Birds and now you're playing 1080p 60 version of Assassin's Creed Odyssey, that's having way more pixels, you know, or polygons than you've had or been able to afford before. And I think like Heather, that's hopefully where I would convert you over to this and tell your dad to move because yes, the train will hit him and then <laughs> convert you over to this world of like our our hobby is such a wonderful one and, and can be so awe-inspiring, but the barrier to entry is high right? and, and this gets rid of all of that. Yeah, yeah, I, I think, I mean, that's always been, uh, it's like, it's the tech accessibility problem and then it's also, it's always been, I guess, the, the economic accessibility problem of games of any hobby really and i guess maybe this is a way to sort of start smashing down some of the bricks in that wall and i guess that would be pretty darn great yeah it's an exciting time it's pretty cool that they announced this and the beta started within the span of a week it really feels like they were ready to rock with this service um as we've noted the big question marks are how does the the pricing structure work? How is the subscription model? How do you get games on it? All of that, I think will be uh, really where the rubber meets the road. And um, you know, the, the detail, it's all the devil's in the details, right? So I'm ready um, for Xbox Scarlet though. And I'm going to lean into my silly prediction of last week that they're going to talk about it in, in Mexico city. Well, yeah, certainly that silly prediction seems a lot less silly this week when it's like a company's got this on the go, but you know, the, Google is a weird company when it comes to this kind of stuff, right? Because it certainly seems they're serious about this, but Google also like abandons projects that seem amazing and world changing out of whim. Yeah. It, I don't find them a reliable uh, entrant into this, into this market. You know, I, I it, it doesn't make me feel good that it's Google, but it also makes me feel like Google could just be like, it's free. Hey, it's free. <laughs> you know, who knows? Because Google does that kind of stuff too. So, uh, you know, I, it, it's going to be, uh, it's, it's pretty interesting to see how they're going to disrupt this, this market, quite frankly. Yeah. Speaking of disrupting markets, I want to take a, a quick second and thank our sponsor, Simple Contacts. Uh, if you're like me and you wear contacts or wear glasses, uh, you understand how annoying a process, we're talking about pain points, you know, talking about pain points in the video game industry. There's pain points in the eyeglasses and contacts industry as well. And Simple Contacts is here to help you. If you wear contacts, you know it's annoying to renew your subscription. It's annoying, or excuse me, not subscription, prescription. Annoying to renew your prescription. Annoying to get new contacts. I love the fact that we're in a whole new economy now where we can just get stuff done at home. I don't have to go in. I don't have to waste my whole day trying to just get new contacts. I wear disposables. I, I go through them quickly. I like simple contacts. I've been using simple contacts as a service to get my new contacts for a while now. Why? It's easy. If you will need to renew your prescription, it takes five minutes. 
you have this vision test that you can perform online. You can do it on your phone. You can do it on your PC. It can get you a renewed prescription and you can reorder your contacts quickly. They have, uh, if you have, a um, you can just upload a photo of your doctor's information. If you have an unexpired prescription, you can order new lenses that way, or you can take this quick eye exam. It does not replace your periodic eye health exam, which is super important to keep in mind. You still need to go to a doctor for that because they check your eyes for, for health problems. But if you're just renewing your prescription or want to check if your eyes have changed any, it's awesome. It's convenient. It's fast. It's reliable. They actually have a licensed doctor review every single test. So it's not automated. It is actually reviewed by an actual uh, licensed doctor who will make sure that your test is, is gone through. In fact, I tried to game the system the first time I did it. I tried to just have the, you know, to say, yeah, I got it. I'm fine. I'm fine. And they contacted me like, no, 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 you actually have to do the thing. It only takes five minutes. It was so easy. Um, and it saves you money. The vision test is only 20 bucks compared to an appointment, which can even, you know, if you don't have insurance, it can cost up to 200 bucks, which is crazy. And uh, the contact lens prices are great too. You can actually order your contact lenses. They have all the big brands, all the brands you would, you would want for contact lenses. Standard shipping is free. And the best part is because you're a listener of DLC, we have an even better uh, offer for you. Now, you remember, this is not a replacement for your periodic full life health exam, but you can get $20 off your contacts at simplecontacts.com slash DLC20. Remember that $20 off, DLC20, simplecontacts.com slash DLC20, or enter the promo code DLC20 at checkout. So uh, I highly recommend, I've been using Simple Contacts for a while, and I think you'll find they are very, very good and very useful. All right, my uh, story of the week this week is uh, the shakeup at Blizzard. Of course, I'm a big Blizzard fanboy. And uh, Mike Morheim, the uh, the founder and well, co-founder of the company and uh, the president of Blizzard, has announced that he's stepping down as president. And uh, Jay Allen Brack, who is a World of Warcraft producer, is going to be replacing him. Uh, if you are a Blizzard fan, if you've ever been to BlizzCon or follow the company in any significant way, you know that Morheim is more than just a uh, a president. He really is the sort of spirit animal of the company. He always uh, does the commencement address at BlizzCon. He co-founded the company and really has led it. His, I think, I think the story goes that his parents put up the money for them to start the company uh, back in 1991. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's a, a wonderful story. It's a very sort of mom and pop story and, uh, he stopped stepping down. Um, it's a pretty big deal. And it's odd to me that this is happening and has been announced so close to BlizzCon. BlizzCon's happening November 2nd and 3rd. And, uh, you got to feel like that is going to have a big part in what BlizzCon is going to be like, because as I said, he always kicks it off with his speech and, uh, he is a, a beloved figure in that community. So I'm surprised that they're announcing this so close to BlizzCon, and I imagine that BlizzCon will be much about his legacy and his time there. Um, and this comes on the heels uh, just in the last couple of years. Chris Metzen, who is another veteran, not a founder, but they're right from the beginning. Uh, he retired from the company as well. Um, so it, it's an interesting time for Blizzard. I think they're in good hands, but um, as a big fan, I am... Uh, I want to note that, and I think it's a big story. So, uh, Heather, are you um, are you a Blizzard 
fan? Are you are you interested in the story? Uh, a little bit. I uh, back before I did any of this games journalism uh, hullabaloo, I did uh, I did uh, uh, quality assurance in games, and I spent a long time interviewing with Blizzard. I always liked hmm. Blizzard; they yeah. always seemed really really cool. Um, so I've always liked that company. I think. I think this is just, we're finally reaching that time where we're, I think we're going to start seeing these sorts of changes, not just at Blizzard, but just sort of all around as we accept the fact that time, unfortunately, marches on and and people, I know it's the worst. Um, so I, I don't know exactly what this will mean for the future of, of, of Blizzard. I, I mean, it's very clear that, I, you know, I think for BlizzCon, the thing that we're probably going to hear the most about is like Diablo 4. And, and things like that. Um, it's very clear that they have a lot of security, like in their temple uh, projects and games in order to sort of keep driving things forward. What would be interesting is just to see um, sort of where things go from here and see if there's any more noticeable shifts in maybe how, how the company's going to expand and, and, treat its properties or, or, or maybe we see, we see something else. I, I don't know. Um, uh, I think, I think it, this is, this is a matter of, of you just got to wait and see. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, it certainly is the kind of thing where it could, it, you could see a different kind of company. I think the departure of Chris Metzen a couple of years ago, you definitely, he was the guy who was really led the char- led the story teams for both World of Warcraft and Overwatch, and you see in his departure a different tenor. Uh, I don't think I'm just, um, you know, I, I don't think I'm I'm perceiving that just from knowing what's going on. I think there's a real difference there in how how those games uh, have continued in his absence, and I think that's the case with Morheim too. I think you'll see a different kind of Blizzard, and uh, I'm excited. I think it's I think it's in good hands, but it's going to be interesting to see. It's, I mean, this company has never existed without him. And, uh, I think the, you know, a president is, is not just a figurehead they really do set the, the stage for the company. And this is a guy who really his heart and soul is video games. And I think, I wonder how much he's been talking to Metzen and others who are like, I just got out, you know, I, I became, uh, uh, you know, a suit, you know, <laughs> and he, he, I feel like he's a guy who would rather just sit around and watch starcraft esports than you know go to meetings it's certainly how he presents himself and it certainly seems to be his character so um i you know kudos to these guys that can retire at early ages and just go off right off into the sunset with all their money and do fun things um christian what do you think about this yeah i mean i think they're approaching their steve jobs moment right where blizzard is very much um there are a bunch of talented people that work on all of the games and that make them possible but as you mentioned um you know mike has been such a central part of it at least public facing who knows maybe behind closed doors he just sits in a room and (laughs) you know bounces a ball off the wall i don't think so but having never been with him for a day i don't know but very public facing um and people employees talking about his influence there and what he's done uh so it's kind of what is you know what does tim cook do what is this company going to be and i think you have examples of it where the company continues on and apple for instance became the first trillion dollar uh company valued a trillion dollars in the u.s um when the doctors left bioware i think some people look at that as a point of where quality kind of took a dip and the company wasn't the same um when Bill Gates left Microsoft, it certainly had some ups and downs. It seems like they're kind of back to, well, I guess they just had to pull a Windows update. I was going to say they're backfiring on all cylinders. 
but they had a recent problem. Um, But you also have to think that this has been well thought out, well planned. Blizzard is never, in my experience, a company that does something uh, willy nilly or it's just, you know, here's a game. We're putting it out. You know, if you look at Starcraft Ghost and, and games that they've worked on as examples of if something wasn't ready to the quality they wanted it to be done in the manner in which they wanted to do it, they would wait or not do the thing at all. So I would assume the same thing is happening here with this transition. And if there was ever a company that seems to have all of the talented people, (laughs) it seems like Blizzard is one of those companies. And you mentioned things changing when Chris left, but also I know you rave about um, Battle of Azeroth as one of the best pieces of content that's come to WoW. And while certainly that was probably in development two years ago, it, it, you know, that is not lacking for story or content. Its end game is deep with story and content. So you have to hope that this uh, storied company will continue to um, create the things that we know and love them. Indeed. <clears throat> yeah, I think that's well said. Uh, one more quick story I wanted to throw in there just because uh, this one goes out to um, to my good friend E-Money. Um, E-Money, what is it, 420? What is it? E-Money 911? What is it? TVS? Uh, TVS, that's right. Good old E-Money TVS. This is for you. Uh, If people aren't aware, that's Christian's – well, I shouldn't have probably said that, huh? That's fine. Uh, That's my gamer tag on both Xbox and PlayStation. (laughs) I did not change it on Xbox because I can't change it on PlayStation. It's a track nickname from years ago. E-Money. We came out in uh, with boomboxes and stuff, and I'm yeah. and TVS is the Vampire Slayer. I stand by that one. I'm fine with that. <laughs> so, so uh, I just wanted to call out that because uh, uh, we heard rumor that a PS4 player name change option is being tested right now, and you may finally get the chance to change your PlayStation moniker uh, on PSN. Uh, so, uh, so does that mean old e-money TVS is, uh, is going away e-money? Not that, not now that it's internet famous, that thing. <laughs> I just made it so you can't change it now. I can't have e-money TVS go away the same day that Blizzard has, you know, shake up <laughs> need some stability. Yeah. Uh, anyway. <laughs> like I, all I, of I... your old screen names are fine, Heather and Jeff. <laughs> Don't judge me. Do not throw stone at with your glass houses. Yeah. I think it's right. Heather, it's, isn't it funny how long it took for this? feature to to perhaps come to playstation people have been crying for this for a long time and you know those of us like e-money who who uh registered for psn you know however many years ago uh you're tied to these names that may not have, it's like getting a tattoo in your in your when you're in high school you know well, like i have that also it's e-money you're gonna regret it. it's also e-money <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think it's just, I think Sony found their way. I think they, for a while, just found their way of doing stuff. And Sony seems to me a a company that, um, while often very innovative in in certain ways, can be very set when it comes to how they want to handle uh, infrastructure or things like that. And I think, I think, and I mean, you see this with other stuff too. We, We finally have inklings and instances of where crossplay is finally going to become a thing too. So something is happening at that company where they're reassessing how they really want to handle online infrastructure, how they want to handle um, how accounts are handled for games just and other things broadly. And thank gosh, thank gosh for that, because I, I think I would like to change my PSN name tag. Thank you very much. 
<laughs> I won't ask you what that is, but no, uh, no and I, I will not tell. Are you going to guess? <laughs> are you going to guess that it's nine eleven again, Jeff? <laughs> <laughs> I was. I thought. It, I don't. I. I don't know. I, I was going to think of. I meant to say four eleven, and I said nine eleven. I, I mean, it just could have gone three eleven, and it would have gone three eleven. That's much makes more sense for you. The three eleven. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anyway, I thought that was pretty funny. All right, uh, let's get to talking about the the games we've been playing and get to the playlist. Well, we got to start with Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Uh, I know, Heather, you you reviewed it, right, for Kotaku? I did. I reviewed it for Kotaku.com, a video game website about video games. <laughs> yes, which loads wonderfully on my Chromebook. I've been um, told. <laughs> uh, I very much enjoyed reading your review, and uh, I would love for you to talk about uh, some of the things in it and maybe your experience playing Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Uh, Christian and I both obviously have also played it, so we will weigh in. But um, tell us tell us what you thought of Assassin's Creed Odyssey. So I liked it way more than I think I was expecting to like it. Um, not in the sense that I went into it with, you know, negative expectations or things like that, but because, you know, from what I had seen of it, it felt so distant from me, from the things that I sort of identify in my mind, even after Origins had come out with Assassin's Creed. It felt like this, I mean, and it still probably is the case that you could have slapped a different name on that. You could have just called it Odyssey. And I think you could have had yourself a new historical adventure RPG. So for me, I, I wasn't sure how I was going to feel about that for a while. Um, and playing it, like playing it it's, itself was fantastic in terms of uh, this, this, this game world is great. <laughs> it's, it's um like even even that tiny little starter island, that wonderful dirty grum hole Kefalonia, mm -hmm. has there's so much there's like so many things to find. Like there's just caves to dive into and ruins off the coast, and there's people to talk to. And at no given point playing this game have I ever felt like I wasn't a stone's throw away from something that for all I knew, could balloon into some of the best adventure content that I've had in a long time. Such um, a cool I think, way of putting it. I love yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think this game, I think maybe maybe in retrospect for me, I think the main story or the way that they qualify the main story doesn't entirely work. Um, there's the Odyssey. There's basically three storylines. There's like Cassandra and or Alexios, if you play as Alexios, because I, I, I guess I guess people decide to do that. <laughs> I, none, um, none of the three of us have uh, Cassandra. I find to be uh, just a delightful performance. I really yes. enjoy that performance, and I'm, I'm I've been very pleased with my decision to play as Cassandra. Right, but uh, so so the three storylines are basically the the story with her and and maybe finding out what happened to her family and her past. Some of the stuff that ties into the Assassin's Creed like upper level, um, like meta story of the assassins and the Templars and this precursor civilization, and then also just identifying eventually and. Uh, without telling you who they are, there are bad people that you have to hunt down and assassinate. And that kind of constitutes sort of like the third story pillar of this game. And I don't think that the main story pillar of actually of 
hey, what's going on with Cassandra's family or whatever worked out so well for me. I think the thing that worked out incredibly well for me was this game side content where I've stumbled upon some, you know, multi-tier ever escalating stories on different regions and in different areas that have had great characters and some really interesting choices at the end. And then also, I I guess I'll say, once they get to the weird stuff too, like the Assassin's Creed-y part of Assassin's Creed, it gets amazing. Um, For a while, I was afraid when I was not uh, totally gelling with the main story, that the game was kind of going to play it safe. And I think maybe it does for that story pillar, but everything else has been fantastic. It's a game that is, it seems to have a, a, a real genuine joy um, for just sort of the world that it gives you. Like it really wants you to experience it. Um, yeah. It very, very earnestly wants you to experience it in a way that I find very nice. Um, yeah. I, I, I kind of, as somebody who's been playing games my whole life and uh, you know, kind of the, my lifetime happens to be sort of the lifetime of video games <laughs> just by coincidence. Uh, I kind of can't believe we can make this like right. as, as a culture, like people can make this. It, it blows me away. There is so much in this game. And like you said, it, you always feel like, there is something right around the corner that's interesting and fascinating and captures your attention. I have never been a huge fan of the Assassin's Creed franchise from, from go. I, I have reviewed all those, not all those games. I reviewed the early games and uh, it was never captivated. I thought the aesthetic was really interesting. I loved the idea of going back to historical time periods. And I thought the idea of a franchise where each installment in a different time period was a really clever one. But the game's never really gelled to me until Origin. And I love the fact that this franchise has fully embraced being an RPG. And I think this game, even more than Origin, is the full expression of that. Uh, even to the point where assassinating someone is an RPG element now, right? You have actual assassination hit or uh, uh, damage points that don't necessarily mean you can kill everybody in one hit, even if you jump out from the shadows and, and assassinate them. You have to actually have the good gear, have the right stats worked up to the ability to assassinate really high level people. I, I love that. I love the fact that the game is all about giving you cool loot in all different kinds of ways and putting different loot behind different kinds of currencies and doing all kinds of fun things that make all of the activities of the world really pay off in cool rewards so all of that RPG, RPG layer, I'm down for. I mean, those are my favorite kinds of games. I love The Witcher. This game has clearly learned a lot from The Witcher franchise. It also has clearly learned a lot from the Shadow of Mordor franchise. And while it doesn't actually have a nemesis system, there are systems in this game that are so fun. The idea of, of ha- this isn't a spoiler, there's a, you know how a lot of open world games since Grand Theft Auto have sort of a star, like Grand Theft Auto has the star system. If you do a lot of things and people see you do a lot of things, you get a lot of notoriety and then all of a sudden the cops come after you and you have to either shake the cops or figure out a way to lower your your notoriety or they're going to keep chasing you. This game has a similar system except 
It's mercenaries, other mercenaries of the world who all have specific names, personalities, and looks. There's a catalog of these mercenaries in your menu at all time. And they all have specific weaknesses and strengths and levels. And the more things you do, the more of them come after you and you can see them on the map and you get rewards for for taking them down. And there's this threat that is really interesting and you can decide to either attack the mercenary directly or pay off the mercenary uh, to get them to stop attacking you or go and find the person who's going to pay the mercenary for killing you and kill that person. It's such a cool concept that works really, really well and is super fun. And as you said, Heather, there, there is so much density to this world. And that doesn't mean the world is small. The world is massive. And there's like quests upon quests upon quests. And none of them feel like filler. I mean, you walk up to a, 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 a message board in the world. It, it's, it's sort of a, uh, you know, like a community post and there'll be eight to 10 quests there that you can pick up to do. Some of them are timed where it's like you only have two real world days to get these done. And all of them are wildly different. I mean, you can get on a boat and go cruising the high seas and attack pirates and attack other ships. There's a whole boat upgrade system. You can uh, infiltrate these every location in the game. You can take down and those are really, really fun. I found myself being um, uh, uh, distracted by just wanting to like conquer every area that I came across because there's really cool reasons to do that. And then you can get into these giant conquest battles that are sort of area control mechanics where you have to try to, you know, you, you weaken the leadership of an area and then you can get into these giant conquests. I mean, it's just incredible how much is in this game. I'm I'm overwhelmed, but I love doing all of it. None of it feels wrote, you know, chase feathers, you know, collect 400 of these stupid things. They all feel like interesting, well-crafted quests that, as you said, have cool characters and cool storylines. I'm just a- amazed that this game even exists. Yeah. It, it, oh, no, sorry to interrupt. I was no, gonna say, the thing about those systems that I like about, uh, about them a lot is that they convey a sense of the world. So in my review, I called them a layer cake of factional control mechanics and personal glory metrics. Um, and it's, it's this thing that gives you a sense for like how this game wants to talk about conflict and history and how it allows you to participate in it and the mercenary i like the mercenaries a ton i think if you look on waypoint right right now uh cameron Kunzelman wrote a piece about why he likes getting hunted down by the mercenaries is it because it's partially that emergent quality of oh my gosh there's just oh i'm i'm going like you can just find some like i get so excited talking about this game sometimes you can just find people in this game who are 20 levels ahead of you and they're a mercenary on your list and you know that you're just going to clash with them but then you can also go into a tomb somewhere and stumble upon some wild lost civilization stuff that you've never seen it's it's amazing and i think the game is i mean it's it's huge and it is long and there's lots to do in it you can get completely overwhelmed almost but i think it actually is paced in a really interesting way. I have not finished it. You, you've played a lot more of the game than I have, but I mean, I played five hours before I saw the title card, which is insane to say. Uh, but then like even like 10 to 12 hours in, there's a really cool moment 
that reveals an entirely new system that I don't want to even talk about because I don't want to spoil that cool reveal to people, but it adds a, a new layer of system to the game that I found to be really exciting and uh, adds even something else to, to be thinking about and doing. It, 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 it is, it's, I'm going to, sure, I'm going to regret saying this, but I kind of can't imagine how Red Dead Redemption 2 can out open world adventure this. You know, it, it, it really feels like so many of the things I love about role-playing games and open world games done in a really compelling way with, as you said, a world that just is fascinating and fun to be in. I like the look and feel of it. And it's gorgeous, gorgeous. Mm-hmm. I'm playing on an Xbox One X, by the way. Um, and it, it is gorgeous. I like it better than a lot of sand, you know, which <laughs> Origin had a lot of sand. Uh, this is, this is, you know, the grease is just stunning. It's uh, beautiful and beaches and, uh, you know, rolling hills and mountains. It's just spectacular to look at. And so I like being in it more than Origin. And I think it is, it's similar to origin in a lot of ways, but I think it is even more refined and has even more going on for it. My only snag that I mentioned in my review, and I think it's something that you, when you mention about how can it out open world, right? Redemption two or anything like that. And it's like, for me, I love, I love, I love this game, but I almost, this was the first time I actually played something where I almost felt like it was almost too big. Um, There's so much, uh, there's so many places to go. There's so many things there. And then, like you said, the game seems very fond of tossing surprise new mechanics and systems on you after you think you've gotten pretty much everything under your belt. Um, where to the point where I admire how much it has to offer. And I still think overall it gives that really splendorous feeling of, Oh man, what's over that hill? Well, what's going on? But also, I think this was the first time I ever played a game and felt actually overwhelmed just by the just the raw grandeur and scale and and everything that was going on which i guess is cool but also just whoa yeah you spend so much time on that starter island and then you pull back the map and you go this is insane it is insane how much but none of it feels like filler none of it every rock and bush and cave feels handcrafted i know it can't possibly be but it it, it is it doesn't feel like a world that is procedurally generated it doesn't feel like a world that is thrown together willy-nilly it feels historically not accurate i mean clearly this is pulp fictiony version of of this time you know there's a lot of uh, science fiction and goofy stuff that happens but i also feel like they did their homework in crafting the world in an, uh, an authentic way so I, I, I just, I just am astounded that this thing can exist, that this is where video games are now a massive open world where in a moment I can be a bird flying overhead and just see as far as I can see and get in a boat and go. And I mean, the water looks amazing. It's anyway, Christian, we've been talking a, a long time. And then a moment later you can tab over and be back in Gmail. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know you. Uh, you have started the game twice now with uh, playing it on Xbox and also playing it on your uh, in your browser. I guess. Yeah, as my as my Flash game. As my <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Um. So I will echo all of the things that you and Heather said. Uh, it's beautiful. I, I'm not 
I'm probably five hours into the game on my first playthrough. So you um, haven't seen the title card yet. Correct. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Just yeah. the splash, the opening splash, but not that, you know, now the game started. Um, so this is not, I don't think this is representative of the game, but I think it, it shows the Xbox One. I've played on, on an Xbox One, an original like launch Xbox One and an Xbox One S. Um, it, it shows that this console is struggling a little bit, right? I mentioned the load times when I come back from my Falcon, um, load times coming in and out of cutscenes, And again, I don't think it's necessarily a knock against the game. I, I do believe they said that they were leading on the one X. And I think that shows, I hear the one X and the PlayStation four, uh, pro versions are astonishing. And I hear the PC version runs well as well. Um, but it, it makes the Xbox one look like a console, um, you know, maybe on its last legs, maybe Microsoft has something to announce <laughs> in November in Mexico City. Um, other things about the game, while I agree with what you both said, and again, not being as far into it as you either of you are, I, I do feel already my open world issues are showing themselves a little bit where I feel like every individual thing I do is really fun and engaging, but at, I'm not sure how well they come together in terms of being this woman's life or remembered version of of her life and maybe that changes as things get more sci-fi but it seems like her actions at times and i guess me the person playing them can be all over the place in terms of who she is what she is why she's doing this thing why um what's she's the- a mercenary right she's i mean they make that very clear right from the start but you she's can't- a mercenary she she's in it for for the uh I wanted I wanted to come up with the name of the money and I it lost I lost it from my head. She's in for the money. Uh, Drakmi, Drakmi, is that what yeah, it is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also like uh, what's his name, Marcos, um, her adopted father. Again, it's like first minute of the game. Um, you know, she's there's loyalty there and honor, and at times there. So at times there is that, and at times there's you know kill him, get the money, and at times there's my family. What is my family? Who is my family? Uh, so I'm curious to see where all that goes, but I feel like at the beginning, it's kind of a little bit all over the place. Um, and then what I wanted to ask you both, uh, Heather having completed it and Jeff, you know, being deep into it and in love with it, there's an article that was on Polygon and it was titled Assassin's Creed Odyssey Best Feature Cost an Extra 10 Bucks. And it was talking about the permanent XP boost that the in this uh, Chris Plant's opinion makes the game a better game. But how I wanted to frame that conversation instead of whether you know, what Chris wrote or, or, or this out of the other, it's this idea. And I screen capped it. I apologize to the person on reset era. I do not have your name in this screen cap screen cap. Unfortunately, I didn't realize I clipped it out, but there was a post and what they were talking about in the bunch of forums on, on reset era was this idea that, uh, so I should back up a little bit. You can buy an XP boost that uh, for $10, you can buy a permanent XP boost. I think it's 50% xp boost on everything you do in the game for the lifetime of the game i should also mention that that's what i use my free credits for on my project stream version of the game um and so the 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 conversation on reset era went to this the idea of just just the inclusion of a time saver type microtransaction necessitate that the game was balanced to encourage you to use that by having it included in the game does that mean that the uh, it, the game otherwise does not respect your time 
in a way that it would without that microtransaction? Can these two things exist and and both be okay where it's, hey, this is just included for people that maybe want to ruin the game? <laughs> you know, like it's not going to be you're technically ruining it because it's going to be all imbalanced or whatever. Or by having it in there, did they somehow develop and Ubisoft is a specific example, but any game that does something like this, balance it to maybe nudge you. And I will say that for Origins and so far for Odyssey, these microtransactions aren't in your face. You have to tab over to the store. It's not po- It's not like, oh, that was a long side mission. <laughs> Spend 10 bucks. Don't worry about them anymore. It, it's not obtrusive in that way. But I'm curious, Heather, in your experience with the game, do you feel like the inclusion of these boosts somehow made them make the game longer or more grindy than it otherwise would have been where you see examples like shadow of the second shadow of Mordor, whatever it was called shadow of Mordor, Mordor, right. uh, where it, it was too grindy and it looked like they pe- peeled that back or has Ubisoft found a balance here with these games and, and kind of your thoughts on that stuff in general. So my, I can only ever speak from personal experience for this. Um, I tried speaking publicly about this and it, and it led to a whole hullabaloo with some people because my introduction to this had been through some more sensationalist coverage of this. Um, I hadn't read Polygon's article at the time. I had had people talking about these boosts as if, uh, you know, I'd seen YouTubers and, and people talking about how, um, you know, it was right in your face and, and they were trying to get in there and it was a super grindy game. And uh, my only response to that could could be my own personal experience, which was that, well, by the end of the game, I found myself largely because of the pace I need to play when I'm reviewing a game is considerably faster than the pace that any sane and reasonable human being would ever play a game. I found myself near the end of the game having points where my level felt not insufficient for the tax you know, the tasks at hand, but certainly lower than I would like it to be. Mm -hmm. Um, I attribute that to the fact that I had started just mainlining main, you know, main story content in order to make sure that I could speak authoritative, you know, authoritatively in my review. So to answer the first part of what I think is probably a much more complicated uh, multi-stage question is in my experience, I have not found that in order to make this game a good time you need to stumble over into ubisoft's you know in-game store and buy yourself an you know an exp booster i wasn't even really aware that that was a thing until steven pointed it out to me at the office one day because i was just in la la review world going on my adventures and i had not even you know engaged with as much of the because i knew that there was going to be things where hey you can download swords or something like that but i hadn't been entirely aware of the time saver tab i guess i had missed at the time um, yeah so you should my- mention that there's an entire tab uh, of time savers and xp is is only one of several boosts you can also buy uh, materials to to craft things and there's a whole bunch of things you can buy so it's not just the one xp boost thing right so i guess my first the first thing I'll say is for me, I did not find them necessary. When readers have asked, I've said that you don't need them. I still stand by that. Um, I think when you talk about time savers nowadays, though, it's complicated. So uh, to the question of whether or not this means that the company designed it to sort of uh, screw you over and send you towards that tab. Um, I'm no fan of companies by any stretch of the imagination, um, but I also uh, 
think there's a balance between um, mistrust and and kind of positing conspiracy um, mm, yeah. and, and and right and I think I think while it is probably likely just by virtue of the fact that yes video game companies any company wants to exploit you to a certain degree because that is what you are there for for them right in in many respects in the broad gross capitalist view of it anyway is that there's probably there was probably discussion internally about exactly how to handle the rate of experience gain and hopefully right and i think at least in my experience this is the case they settled on something that felt sufficient but also i'm sure there was a component of it in there somewhere that was yeah but also maybe people will do this um I, but I, but I don't think it's not this. It's not. It's not a Star Wars Battlefront Two situation where that stuff is built into your progression system, mm-hmm. where it is completely unavoidable, where the actual mechanics of the thing there are are not even just gambling adjacent, but basically gambling. Right? That was unconscionable. That was gross. That was blatant. That was ugly and everybody involved in that decision should be ashamed of themselves and i don't great like i get really mad thinking about that one i don't get as mad about this one because i did not find it in your face necessary or 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 anything that affected you know my experience of the game and yeah. I, I guess, yeah, I, I, sorry to ramble for one more no, second. No, I'll say that I guess the broad question of time savers itself is like, I think we also just need to acknowledge that the breadth of people who play games is getting bigger and bigger. And that means people with less time. Yeah, Jeff, if I may reframe it for you, sure. the qu- the question is, you know, you talked about how great the side content is, and it all feels handcrafted. And, and my playthrough of the project stream version now where I have this XP boost, I likely won't need to do as much of that or any of that to finish the main campaign. And does that then make the game a a lesser experience? Because one person calling it a grind, it's only a grind if you're not enjoying it because you're trying to mainline this thing and you can't do it. But if you're wandering around this gorgeous Greek Island uh, setting and having fun exploring all of these things and doing all of these things, that's amazing, right? Like, isn't that you wouldn't yeah, want to skip that stuff, right? And I think that any normal person, as Heather kind of indicated, uh, I, I find, and I, this is a generalization, but I think you will likely be over level of most of the areas you get to if you're at all like me, which is I kind of just want to do a lot of stuff where I am. I have a hard time leaving question marks on my map before I leave a place, (laughs) uh, which is problematic because this, like I said, it's an overwhelming amount of stuff to see and do in this game. But if you have any desire to just follow your curiosity in this game at all, you are like, there's, they are just tossing XP at you left and right. I mean, it is, there's everything you do gets you XP. Like I said, there are bounties and contracts and stuff. That's all just throwing XP at you. And Every area that you clear out has XP associated with it. And if you do conquests, there's mountains of XP that they're waiting to give you. It's, you know, it is, you're not wanting for things to earn XP. And, you know, yeah, I guess you could consider that a grind, but that's playing the game, right? The game is just constantly giving you XP over and over again. Also, it should be noted, 
most of the game, most of the ancillary content that is in the game scales with you. So Hmm. if you get a quest that is a level nine quest and then you level up to level 10, now it's a level 10 quest most of the time in this game. It's not, you can't out level most of the quests because uh, there are, there are exceptions to this. Of course, uh, a, a lot of the mercenaries are exceptions to that. The mercenaries are a set level and you, you know, you can get your power relative to them in various ways. Uh, and there are, you know, stuff yet to be discovered that I've pl- I haven't played yet. I'm sure that's end game content that may betray some of this, but Basically, what you're getting in an accelerated XP situation is access to more talents, more, you know, the talent tree itself opens up because every level you get a new point to spend in the talent tree. But even that stuff is gated because some of it you can't even put an extra point into until you reach certain story beats or you unlock certain things in the in the uh, main campaign. So they do a good job gating that. And also... You can spend all the points you want, but at any given time, you can only have eight abilities mapped to your control. You have four for ranged attacks and you have four for melee attacks. So yeah, you can pause and swap in and out different talents, but that's kind of laborious and annoying. So generally speaking, I have numerous talents that I put put points into that I replaced with better things later or just found different gameplay situations, more advantageous. So it's not like, you know, having a lot of levels quickly is a cheat. You know, there, there are, I think there are ways of balancing that they have smartly implemented that uh, play themselves out so that it really doesn't feel like you're paying to win or you're, uh, you're getting a a cheat code. Um, So I, I think, I think it is, yeah, on the face of it, it may look a little questionable and you may feel like, oh, why, why, why are they asking me $10 more on a game I already spent 60 or more for? But they're not really asking for that. I think it, it really is something that um, might help people and might, might, be, might make the game more fun. Uh, so I, I don't have as big a problem with it. And I think Heather laid out an excellent argument for why the Star Wars Battlefront version is much more egregious. And this one, I think, while a little gross, is is not nearly as offensive to me. Cool. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, we talked about that a lot. I think we're going to talk about it more. I'm going to keep playing it. I don't know, Christian, if you are. It, it's one of those games. It, it is such a crazy time for video games for a game of this size and scale and scope to come out. Uh, I'm scared of the looming Red Dead on the horizon. I'm, you know, I'm scared of getting pulled away because this is a game I'm just... I'm loving doing everything. I'm having so much fun stealthing around. I, I spent like 20 minutes last night killing this epic boar. <laughs> that was oh, like, oh, that thing. Oh, it's oh my n- God. It's notorious at this point. So I, it's when so I read that review, I, I was like, oh man, everybody's going to get this pig. <laughs> and, and it's going to be a disaster. Oh yeah. Uh, good time. It's times. so fun. You, you literally go up on this big bluff where the pig is and there's a person there going, uh, I don't think you should go any farther because there's something really scary ahead. And it's like a pig and you fight it. It is an epic fight. It is an epic fight with where it feels like a boss fight from an MMO where like it, it summons ads and you have to deal with those and you keep whittling it down. And I mean, I just, I just love this game. I, I can't wait for actual MMOs to look like this game. Cause it is 
stunning. I mean, photo mode is awesome. I don't really play much with photo modes in games, but I've took, taken a few pictures because you just get on the top of something and you look out over the draw distance is gnarly on this game. And you just, you know, you look down in these valleys and they're full of, you know, these ancient Grecian uh, cities that are just spectacular to look on. It's, it's cool, man. I'm, I'm into it. All right. Let me thank our second sponsor, which is Squarespace. Squarespace, of course, you know, uh, as the place to make an online web page. Anything that is online, anything you need, whether it be a storefront or a personal blog or just an announcement page, anything that is content on a website, you can make it yourself with Squarespace. It's super easy. It's all drag and drop. You start with a template. You make it your own with simple, simple tools that Squarespace has refined over many years now. I've been with Squarespace for over a decade. JeffCanada.com was built on Squarespace. I love it. Uh, it has everything you would need for a website of any kind. You can drop in e-commerce functionality if you want to sell something. You just got built-in search engine optimization. You have analytics that help you grow your website should you be into that. You have free and secure hosting. There's never anything to upgrade or patch. It's all handled for you. 24-7 award-winning customer support. You've heard me talk about this stuff before. If you have any need for a website, don't pay someone to make it. You can make it yourself and you can make it gorgeous. Make it stand out. And we can help. If you go to squarespace.com slash Jeff sent me, that's squarespace.com slash J-E-F-F-S-E-N-T-M-E, and use the show code Jeff sent me when you check out, you can get, save yourself 10% on your first purchase of a website or domain. So you get a free trial just by going to squarespace.com slash Jeff sent me. And then when you're ready to pay for it, when you're ready to launch your website, use that promo code Jeff sent me and you get 10% off your first purchase. Give it a shot. Uh, chances are you need a website or you know someone who does. We've been grateful to have a Squarespace a supporter since we launched this podcast, low many those years ago. Um, and uh, we'd love for you to support them as well. Squarespace.com slash Jeff sent me. Uh, all right, Heather, uh, is there anything else that you've been playing or, or has that been consuming all of your time lately? That's been basically it. I've finally found time to sneak back into Final Fantasy XIV, which I won't ramble on about, but it was just, it was nice to kind of have uh, another big, weird world to explore, but also one that was full of like players again, because yeah. when you do a review for a while, you're just, you're like, hey, I'm going to, like, I'm at my apartment in Brooklyn uh, when I do that sort of stuff mostly. And yeah, Odyssey's great, uh, but it was a lot of. I'm gonna get coffee. I'm gonna play Odyssey, but this time it was nice to get back into a game where I could do like, hey, let's do a dungeon with friends or whatever. So I think I know, it's just been nice to do. Christian, let's talk Forza Horizon Four because I know you are uh, absolutely over the moon for this game, right? Yeah, this game got me to subscribe to Game Pass to commit to it, uh, put a ring on it. Uh, last year I did the big version of Forza Horizon 3. I loved Forza Horizon. Um, I loved the DLC they put out for Forza Horizon 3. And so this year I was like, oh man, Forza Horizon, I'm so excited. I'm like, wait a minute. For, Microsoft had a special going for Game Pass. I was like, for the cheaper than the big version of Forza Horizon 4, I can get Game Pass for a year, which will get me Forza Horizon 4 for at least a year, plus all these other games. Sign me up. So I did the uh, Game Pass dove into forza horizon 4 and it is absolutely incredible this is what i texted to guests of last week's show 
uh, Chris Bergman when I started playing it. He said, playing Forza Horizon, thanks Game Pass. And I replied, I love it with my whole heart. Forza Horizon 4 especially, the way the game unfolds over the first hour or so is amazing. And then how it opens up and you can focus on what you want to do. Just don't get hung up on needing to win races. Just race, have fun, move on. You're always progressing. There's so much to do. And that's what I want to communicate to listeners, especially people that have Game Pass that maybe haven't tried this game yet. The way it opens, which is we talked about the beta a couple weeks ago or last week, that's the way the main game opens as well. The game starts, you're racing, it is gorgeous, you're in a car that goes fast and handles well, and then it changes seasons on you. And you get to feel what those seasons feel like. You get to see how beautiful they look and how different they all are. And then you're just off and running into the the festival of how this game starts. And you're you're driving. And, it, and I think what this game does so smartly is instead of giving you a starter island the way Assassin's Creed does or some other open world games, it starts out with just a few things to do. Uh, and you see how big the map is and how big of an area you're going to get to explore. But it starts introducing you to the different gameplay types that the game has, from off-road racing to stunts to traditional street circuits uh, to illegal street races to exploring the world for billboards and uh, extreme stunts that you can do that are separate from the stunt challenge. And it kind of has you do one of each and kind of play. And as you do... Uh, do them it unlocks more and more and more and more and more and then as this game builds and you see the full breadth of this world it's just jaw-dropping and it doesn't ever prevent you from doing something there is always something to do in this game and i i love that because so much of racing games it's like get first place then you can move on. So you, you restart and you do it again and you restart and do it again. And with Forza, whatever it was way back, I think Forza 2 or maybe even the first Forza, Motorsports with the introduction of the rewind feature already took some of that pressure away. And Forza Horizon 3 and 2, you know, also did a good job of always giving you XP just for completing a race and starting a race and doing it. Um, but this game with the rewind feature and just get rewarding you for finishing a race and races or doing cool things during a race or driving around the world and races don't finish where they started. So it's not as if you're right back where you are, like you got fifth here, you are at the starting line again, you're at a different part of the world. And yes, you can quickly relaunch and do that race again, or, but now you're in this cool part of the world and Ooh, what's over this hill. There's a waterfall over there. I can go jump, sign me up. Um, I absolutely love it. It controls incredible. I don't think a team, uh, the way Playground Games does rumble for this game to let you get the sensation of road feel when you drop a tire or you're on gravel or snow or ice between rumble and the controllers and then Xbox's rumble and the the triggers is phenomenal. It is just stunning. Jeff, I could rave forever, uh, but I I want to hear your thoughts about it and how it kind of opens up. Oh, I don't think you do. Um, I I want to watch you play this game. That's my <laughs> my be- my favorite part of Forza Horizon Four is watching you or someone else play it because uh, it is jaw droppingly beautiful. And I have Game Pass as well, so I thought, well, hey, no, it doesn't cost me anything extra to download it. I'm going to download it. I jumped in and I'm sliding all over the place. It gets to winter. I'm spinning out. I'm crashing. I'm like, I just want to hold the accelerator down that's how i want to play i want to i love games where i don't have to worry about actually being a good driver i just want to go fast and jump stuff and crash 
in a fun way. And, and I, that's the kind of racing games I enjoy these arcadey, silly things that don't uh, even give lip service to real physics. Uh, and so when the game asks me to actually pay attention to, you know, being a driver, I, I'm just, I just lose patience with that. And, but, but everything else about the game is so attractive to me that I, I would just rather watch you who cares and can drive well, uh, play it. So, uh, I, yeah, my, my, I, I feel bad about that. I've, I've talked about this many, many times on many, many episodes, and I'm sure, uh, our frequent listeners will are, are sick of it already, but I, I have this weird, uh, envy from afar about people that are good at driving games. Cause I've just never found my way into loving them, but I've always felt like it was just, just over the next hill that, that I could just, there's something would click in me and I, I would like them, but I've never been able to find that thing. I, I like burnout. I like games where I can go fast and crash and have fun and do sweet jumps and I don't ever have to push the brake. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so it's not for yeah. me really. No, that's fair. I mean, there's like types of games that I just can't get into. Most puzzle games I get frustrated by. I'm like, I'm a smart person. Why can't I do this Um, kind of thing? I I would want to say to our listeners who haven't tried it yet, this game is more arcadey than the traditional Forza Motorsport. Both my daughters played it um, and my (laughs) three-year-old loved it <laughs> you just i think you just dissed me in a very very significant way uh your three-year-old e-money i'm like i was spinning out i can't handle it's too real man it's too real and you're like yeah my three-year-old who's never touched a car in her life uh was able yeah. to grok this in four seconds yeah she's etv tv e-money tvs3 <laughs> is her gamer tag <laughs> e-money e-money next generation um, but what they the, what they did is they didn't enter a race. They just explored the British countryside. And I, I love Mustangs. And as a guy who values practicality over cool, as a guy who wears his retro Nike fanny pack uh, <laughs> and drives a Prius, the next car will be a minivan. I really like the wish fulfillment of this game where so I'm driving a Shelby GT350. Uh, I made it uh, Grabber Blue. And they're just driving through the countryside. And what this game did, I believe... There's like a another level of tree that looks substantial, but you can just crash through, which is like not real, but super fun. The cobblestone or like stone walls you can smash through and they kind of go everywhere. So my three-year-old just, you know, got in the middle of the field and just gassed it. And she was just laughing and giggling. My five-year-old was screaming with delight as she's just careening through this countryside and like sheep are running out of the way. And then like she turns and she starts, I'm like, those are called donuts. And she like yells to my wife, like, mom, I'm doing donuts, but you can't eat them. And just just absolutely loving this world and and experiencing the joy of driving, (laughs) even if virtually. And I think if I'm not going to tell you to play the game anymore, but I think that's a fun way to get into it is don't worry about driving because literally you can get racing, I should say, or entering events. You get experience just in the world, you know, a near miss, finding a jump, finding a billboard, doing donuts, like all of that stuff starts warming you up to the world. And then I think just driving from event to event, you'll learn how to follow the path on the road, when to brake, how to go. Your tires can only do one thing at a time. They're either turning or stopping. You're not going to be doing both well. Um, 
and kind of letting the world, I, I listen to Pulse is the radio station I listen to most of the time and let those sweet beats come over you and just drive and just be. And it's like Spider-Man uh, and the PlayStation 4 in that regard for me, where some of my favorite moments in the game are between missions where I'm just living in this virtual world. Um, and what I'm like, super excited about, and Heather, I'd like to loop you in on this with speculation, um, with the rumor of playground games working on this open world game, Fable, <clears throat> I think the way that they open up an open world in Forza Horizon 4 is so fascinating, especially when compared to how Assassin's Creed and how Red Dead 1 did it and how it's traditionally done. I'm so excited to see their take on a traditional action-adventure open-world game, and if they take any of these lessons into that. And Heather, having just finished Assassin's Creed, do you have a preferred entry point into these open-world games? Do you want it just to be like, here's the map, go play? Or assuming, apologies if I'm assuming it correctly, you haven't spent a bunch of time with Forza, this more, I'm going to hold your hand, I'm going to show you there's more, but let's go through all the fun things you can do before we set you loose. I so I think that's really tricky. I think for me, I like I think there's something really romantic about the idea of just being dropped into a thing and maybe not being shown, hey, like I don't know as much about Forza in in the sense that I haven't really played more than 20 minutes of it, but I have coworkers who have played it and I understand they run you through all these seasons and all these these things like that, which is good, but um I mean, I don't know. Like f- so for me, it's it's Gosh, it's a tricky question. I think, I think about how Spider Man had a, a pretty quick opening kind of story beat thing, but then got you into the city pretty quick because it knew what it did well, and it knew it wanted to get you there really quickly. So I think I admire any game that can kind of get you to that point um, as soon as possible. Cool. I'm ready to declare 2018 better than 2017 for games, though. I'm, I'm going on that limb. Interesting. It's pretty, it's pretty uh, amazing to be able to say that because 2017 was extraordinary. But I mean, I, it's hard. It just, it's going to be so difficult coming up with the top five this year. It's really going to be hard. Um, all right, let's uh, let's thank our final sponsor. Um, it's a new sponsor, Hymns. Now, uh, this is a sensitive topic that you often don't hear people talk about in the open, but uh, Hymns is a resource for for men who uh, are losing their hair or having other problems, uh, erectile dysfunction and stuff like that. Oftentimes you don't want to go into your doctor and ask him about those things. You might be embarrassed. You might be, uh, it's an uncomfortable situation talking to another human being. Luckily, uh, HIMSS is an online place where you can find out that information and get treatment uh, easily, quickly, and confidentially. And it is not sleazy, right? It's this isn't a you know a snake oil salesman. This isn't this isn't a, a place where you're going to get pitched on uh, you know pills that'll make you like a stallion. It's, this is not for uh, your ego. This is this is actual medical stuff, and it's handled in a respectful way, and it's handled in a uh, clinical way, which is how it should be, um, because sixty six percent of men lose their hair by thirty five. And it's not unusual to want to address that. It's not unusual to want to address that before it starts happening because by the time you've noticed hair loss, it's likely too late. 
and you want to find out things you can actually do if you're if you're interested in addressing that. Also, you know, there's skincare products on him. Uh, I <laughs> I have neglected my skin my entire life, and you know, when you you get yourself into a relationship with someone who cares about their skin, and you start finding out uh, about the things that you've neglected your whole life and you start realizing, Oh my gosh, I should have been doing this and this and this because oftentimes guys don't talk about it. And that's unfortunate because these are things that should be talked about. And hymns actually connects you with real doctors and medical grade solutions that treat hair loss, that treat erectile dysfunction. There's no waiting room, no awkward person to person, uh, doctor visit that you will likely neglect or avoid or, you know, we know we need to go to the doctor sometimes, but for these things that aren't in our face, that aren't, you know, a health issue, uh, you can just kind of put it off or because you don't want to, you don't want to deal with it. Don't do that. Get prescriptions that are backed by science. These are real, uh, this is not, you know, this is not the sleazy infomercial stuff. Uh, and we're going to help, help you out if you're interested in this. Um, you can, our, our listeners to, to DLC can get a trial month of hymns for just $5 today, right now, while supplies last. You can see the full website for details, but this would cost you hundreds of dollars if you went to the doctor or a pharmacy. So go to forhims.com slash DLC. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S.com slash DLC. F-O-R-H-I-M-S.com slash DLC. All right, we got to do a quick VR segment this week because Christian has been playing Astrobot Rescue Mission, and I went uh, kind of over the moon for that game last week. Talked at length about how much I loved it. I was so nervous for Christian to play it. Christian, what is your verdict? Are you are you on the Astrobot train? I wanted to just have you from last week ready to go on my phone. I could just play it back for people. Um, what a delightful game. It It is phenomenal. If you have a PlayStation VR, I think it is a must play. It is an essential um, game to your VR collection. Uh, I think things that maybe you left out, not on purpose, but the way I would maybe describe the game that you did not, so I'm not repeating what you said, is that it feels to me like an honest-to-God 3D version of Super Mario 3D Land or 3D World. Not multiplayer, but the levels feel like a mix of that and some of the um, retro-inspired or challenge levels from Mario Sunshine, if, if you all remember those levels, where the levels have a length to them. Picture... uh hallway from halo one is that halo one or halo two uh longest i think is what it was called uh but it's, it's like a, a a corridor i mean it's open visually but the ga- the levels are usually long and, and and versus being wide or spherical there's stuff going on all around you but your main vision is kind of a to b and then you're kind of looking and seeing what you've missed um as you progress through the world uh as someone who has been severely nauseous playing vr games Uh, this game has not made me nauseous in any way shape or form um it's absolutely stunning the animations in this game we talked about how beautiful moss was in its character animations but as your little astrobot dances and celebrates at the end of a level the way water looks and when you go in and out of water and the way it kind of plays off of your 
visor in game, um, the dripping mechanic and stuff like that. It is it is really, really well done. I'm not sure if I would go as far as you in saying that it revolutionizes platformers. I don't want to if that's I not didn't what say you said. it revolutionized platformers. I, okay. I, didn't, this is, I mean, I think it I think it's a excellent platformer that because it's in VR feels like a revolution. I don't think I don't sure. think the platforming itself is a revolution. It's just the fact that you're inside it is what feels so revolutionary. Yeah, I, I will I will go with that then. I will second that. And and then finding your little guys. I mean, it's frustrating, but I think in a good sense where you finish a level and it's like bing 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 ah bing and you like the ones and you're like I'm I missed How did I one? miss anything? I yeah. was so, yeah. Where could they possibly have been? Yeah. yeah. And then you'll play it again and you'll see it and you're like, oh, so cool. And they're over there like waving or like some of them are hiding. <laughs> they're yeah. like, I'm like, don't behind, don't be hiding behind a flower. My favorite other ones are like posing all cutesy. <laughs> some have like their hands on their head and their hip and they're like, hey. <laughs> yeah. They're having a good life on the beach. Um, it, but it, so, it, so my question to you about, about me going too far or not is last week I said that if this was made by Nintendo, and it starred Mario. People would be calling it Game of the Year and saying VR is here to stay. And Nintendo did it again. But if it was the exact same game with literally just with Mario in it, yeah, that's that's a little too far. Because no one said <laughs> that, no one said that about Super Mario 3D Land or, or 3D World. Um, the VR edition of this game is incredible, and the way you experience the world in VR is whimsical and fun and really cool. But I think what Odyssey did to games and brought to the genre is, is much bigger. Um, and I think what other games we're seeing this year with what they're adding to games or um, reinventing established genres, I think is, is bigger. And I think this is a, a very well-made, incredibly beautiful and charming platformer that proves it can work in VR, but I don't think it elevates a genre in any way, shape, or form. And I don't think, unfortunately, I don't think it'll make a non-VR believer a believer. I, I think the really? problems that VR has, it still has. Uh, putting on a headset is an impediment. Uh, being comfortable in that headset. The, I don't know if I turning, I, is I, turning I, your head the ideal way to play a game. Is that It's cool because you're in it, but does your neck get sore after an hour of looking left and right and down is that an ideal way to interact with the world i'm glad um, you did that physically for an audio medium that was great i love that you actually physically i'm streaming this a few people got to see it <laughs> uh but uh, again nits to pick i don't want it to sound like i'm coming down on this game i think if you own a playstation vr it is an absolute must play must buy if you're thinking about getting a playstation vr this is one of the very first if not the very first game that i think you should pick up for the system it's Really, really well done. I think you underestimate the magic that if someone has never been in VR before, if you put them in this game, I think this is one of those things like, oh, I get it. It's magic. That's magic. That's something I couldn't have imagined until now what that would be like. It is. But in my experience of people that I've had experienced VR and other magical experiences, I think they were all like, that is really cool. Uh, but none of them. I would just you no. Know, I don't think any anyone that I've ever done had like had to go over for a demo has then said I'm going to buy this. Fair enough. Uh, I'll quickly mention uh, I've played some of Creed VR, which is based on the you know the I guess I don't know if it's sequel to Rocky the Rocky Cinematic Universe movies. Uh, the first Creed, excellent. Second Creed coming soon. Very excited for that movie, by the way. 
this is a boxing game. There are several several excellent boxing games in VR already. Uh, this one is good. It has uh, the Rocky music, which is always key in a boxing game. Uh, I'm playing it on Oculus with the touch controllers. And of course, playing a boxing game with touch controllers means you're boxing. It's pretty cool. Uh, the game, the thing that Creed VR does that's I think so interesting is that it uh, embraces the Rocky um, uh, need for um, can I think of the word uh, um, montages. It does a Rocky montage a bunch of times. Uh, of course, you need a montage when you're training to get into the ring, and this game does montages. It literally like quick cuts you to different training exercises and i think is really a clever way to uh realize that rocky slash creed ip uh by putting you through these and they're really kind of fun they're like cool little um i don't know mini games almost that that get you ready to do your fight and then you get in the ring and you're doing a full boxing game with full 3d movement and you're dodging and bobbing and weaving and punching and uh looks great uh, you know, it's a very competent boxing game. There are a number of great boxing games in VR already. Uh, I would say Creed VR is a good choice. If you're into that, you will work up a sweat for sure. All right, let's wrap the show up now. We do have our parting gift coming uh, very soon. But uh, Heather Alexandra, you have been one of my favorite guests ever. I have thoroughly enjoyed your insights. Oh, Thank you for wow. being here. Oh, wow. Gosh, you uh, you know how to say all the right things, don't you? Well, this is a, being, thank I'm you so honest. much. This was fantastic. It's always it's always amazing to for, just to like talk to people who are so uh, enthusiastic and you guys really have have that down perfectly. Very cool. Uh, that's nice of you to say. I appreciate it. Uh, tell people where they can follow you and your work online. Uh, you can find me at Kotaku.com, a video game website about video games. Um, and you can also find me on Twitter at, at TransGamerThink. Awesome. Christian Spicer, what do you got going on this week? Uh, you can still find me at any website where you can register to vote and or check to make sure that you are confirmed to vote. Uh, midterms are coming up. Go check. Do your research. Read about the people that are um, running in your district, in your area, consider the small local initiatives on the ballot and what they mean. Read about them, read about them in the women's voter guide, read about them online, find your sources, and then make sure you find three more sources and read up on them. It takes a little bit of time, but it is worth doing. Inaction is just, uh, as big of an action as being active about things by you not voting or educating yourself. That is you making a statement just as much as it is for me to make a statement one way or the other for a candidate. So please register to vote, take the time. And every person that you interact with is someone that you can encourage to vote as well. You don't need to tell them how or, or, or uh, who to vote for, but you can encourage them to make sure that they are ready to vote. Please Indeed. do so. Participation is key. Participate, be a voter. You can follow me online. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Jeff Canada, which is spelled with two N's and one T. I also talk about films and TV shows on a little podcast called the Slash Filmcast, which you can find at slashfilmcast.com. Let us wrap the show up now with our parting gift. Hey, 
Heather, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week? Yeah, sure. Um, this is really random. I'm not usually somebody who recommends this sort of thing, but I'll say it. Um, uh, if you want a chance to get into anime, Japanese animation, um, and all the wackiness and fun that is there, a new season of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure just uh, dropped on Crunchyroll, and you can watch that Um I think you might need a subscription for it. I forget how that works. If you don't know the series, it's uh, it's one of the longest running, most well-known series uh, in all of um, anime and manga. It started in, I think, around 1987. It was written by a fellow um, and is still being written by a fellow named uh, Hirohiko Araki. And it is absolutely wild. This new uh, entry is called Golden Wind. It is set in 2001 Naples. It follows uh, like a young gangster, like a mafioso. And they also have uh, uh, awesome superpowers. I don't have the words to make this thing sound as exciting as it is. If you want a chance to try and and see why people like anime, if if, if you like me for for a while were skeptical, um, JoJo's is as stylish as it's ever going to get. Uh, it's influential to the point that even grumps like clint eastwood like it so (laughs) notorious grump he's Uh, very grumpy indeed uh christian how about you got a parting gift i do it's another music recommendation not a new band but bayside just dropped a new album acoustic volume two i think it's absolutely phenomenal i think there's only maybe one new song on there but it's stuff off their later albums played acoustically or um a little smaller than how they were on their uh, albums in which they first came out. And especially if you listen to Acoustic Volume 1, which I think might be 15 years old or 10 years old now. It's old. But listening to that and how they've kind of grown as a band between Acoustic Volume 1 and now Acoustic Volume 2 um, is phenomenal. It's, it's really, really great listening. And if you're listening with kids, I believe, while well, the first song says hell a lot, but I think only one song... Um, has actual what I would consider cursing in it. So it's it's friendly pop punk or, or post-hardcore, whatever you want to call it, to listen to with kids, except for one song. Test Your Luck? What's the song with luck in it? Whatever that song is called. I think it says a word that rhymes with luck uh, in that song, but it's Bayside's Acoustic Volume 2. It's really great. Not really their fault. I mean, there are not that many words that rhyme with luck. Eh? You're, just, it's, you're just writing yourself into a corner if you name your song. I mean, after you get in a truck, what else are you going to do? <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, we got a listener suggested parting gift. This was sent into dlcfeedback at gmail.com. This comes from Eric Zersi, who wrote a, just a wonderful email. I forwarded it to you, Christian. Uh, just a very, very heartfelt email that I appreciated very much. Thank you, Eric. Uh, and he ended with, uh, this parting gift. He said, I grew up watching semi-random, out-of-sequence episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation, to the point that I probably saw three-fourths of the series, but didn't understand the full complexities of a lot of the character arcs. I'm now re-watching it on Netflix as a 37-year-old man with a son, and it is incredible. In the day and age when it's easy to lose hope, it's wonderful to see a character like Captain Jean-Luc Picard remind us of how great we can truly be. Take some time to rewatch this series, even if it's just a few random episodes in the fifth and sixth seasons, because it will inspire and renew you. My personal favorite episode is The Inner Light, a story about a dying civilization and its last gasp hope to throw a message in a bottle into the void in order to avoid being forgotten. I cried at the end as Picard quietly played the flute in his office, feeling the weight of what this lost people had asked of him. 
Anyway, thanks for the show. Love you guys. Uh, good news also that there will be new Picard episodes evidently on of Star Trek, which very exciting uh, to check out. But thank you so much, Eric, for sending that in. My parting gift, uh, uh, forgive me for this, but I just wanted to mention I um, – my son's preschool, uh, my son's two and he's going to preschool and there's a bunch of other two-year-olds. We just found out that one of his classmates, a little two-year-old girl, has cancer. And that hit me and my family uh, like a, a ton of bricks. Uh, it is a devastating, unimaginable horror. And so I just want to kind of channel that into something positive And I'm hoping maybe I can inspire some people listening to follow me in uh, making a donation uh, to helping some uh, maybe children's hospital. Children's hospital, Los Angeles is a great one or St. Jude's is another one that helps fight childhood cancer. They're hoping to end childhood cancer. Uh, so you can, you can Google that it's easy, or you can go to St. Jude.org slash donate uh, and make a donation to help end childhood cancer because it is an unspeakable horror. I can't even, uh, I can't even imagine and have it hit close to home has reminded me that uh, we need to be ever strident in, in wiping it out. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, we appreciate it. Um, I want to thank uh, Heather Alexandra and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. I want to thank all the folks in our chat rooms for hanging out with us in real time as well, making the show better and reacting in real time to what we're talking about. We love it that you're there with us as we record. Uh, I want to thank our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for making those cool bumpers. And I want to thank you for downloading the show and listening to it. We appreciate you. We will be big back. <laughs> We will be back next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.